Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the program, Dr. Jason Kindertuck talks about exemptions, vaccine fears, and COVID parties. Also, did you know that anxiety is the most common mental illness and does not discriminate? Medical doctor, neuroscientist, and medical intuitive Dr. Russell Kennedy, who tried every type of therapy for his severe anxiety, is my guest tonight. He finally had to heal himself and shares his secret in his award-winning book, Anxiety Treatment, which will help you too when nothing else has. The Sunday Night Health Show starts now. You've heard his voice before. He's an assistant professor in medical microbiology and infectious diseases at the University of Manitoba. He also holds a Canada Research Chair in the Molecular Pathogenesis of Emerging Viruses. And his research expertise and experiences have focused on emerging viral pathogenesis and outbreak preparedness with a focus on low and middle income countries, including outreach activities in Sierra Leone, Gabon, and Kenya. He joins me on the line. He is none other than Dr. Jason Kinderchuk. Good evening, Dr. Kinderchuk. How are you? You know, it's funny. As soon as you mentioned anxiety, and it's kind of like, yeah, basically the last 19 months have been, uh, you know, pretty much just anxiety. But that's it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I actually, <laughs> we're all living with anxiety now, <laughs> if we okay. never had it before. <laughs> Actually, I have a, the guest that's coming on later on in the program is a is a doctor who has experienced anxiety and he has a, a treatment, an earth shattering treatment that he's going to tell people about. He's written a book about it. And and I, I've had quite a busy week and he's emailed me and texted and messaged me on Instagram quite a bit and it's taken me a while to get back to him. And I really haven't given him all this information. And I thought tonight, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I am inflicting anxiety on this poor guy. <laughs> And then I thought, I'm actually having anxiety because now he's not responding to me. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it's something we can all relate to, certainly, <laughs> whether it be short term or over the long term. But but there are treatments, which is a great, the, the great news, actually. And a lot of people don't realize that there are, you know, there's so many people who have so much anxiety about COVID. And, and actually, it, it's such a divisive subject. And, yeah. um, you know, the... I mean, that that's the other thing where people, they are just so entrenched in their beliefs, which may or may not be based on science. And, you know, there is a part of me that has compassion for people who, you know, uh, just believe a headline or they just take a clip from something or uh, there was an announcement out of the UK this weekend where or last week where um, somebody in a position of power made a mistake and said that it was vaccinated 60 percent of the hospitalizations were vaccinated people and he had to walk back on that statement. But a lot of people are repeating that. And, you know, people just get so anxious about, about this information and about the vaccine and about uh, the booster shots and, and about the side effects that are occurring. And I mean, in general, can you actually allay people's fears <laughs> and anxiety yeah. I, I think the vaccines in particular? I, I think What's so. That? Right. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is, is that for us, I mean, this is what we've always faced this. And certainly the, the anxiety, uh, you know, that this is this really is the same thing that I, I felt during Ebola. And I'm certain most of my relatives felt during during other pandemics and public health crises. It's it's normal. Um, it's just amplified. And certainly the, the last few weeks have felt very different. I think that that divisiveness has uh, has certainly taken way and and it's it's made it difficult it's very very different 
It, it certainly is. And, you know, people are uh, getting on the, their high horse or, or their bandwagons. Um, you know, I actually, I work, uh, I do some work in COVID and I often have to call people and, and let them know that their test was positive. And I was talking mm-hmm. to some of my colleagues as well who do the same kind of work in different parts of North America and we were all kind of comparing notes and realized that sometimes when we call people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19, vaccinated or not, they're, they're not going home to self-isolate like they should be, according to the CDC. Yeah. They're getting on planes. They're getting in Ubers. They're going on dates. They're taking their spouses out for dinner. They go to parties. They continue to go to work. And they may have already been at work sick. They use public washrooms. And, and they don't tell anybody. And so I wonder just how much of this is contributing to the perpetuation of this uh, pandemic. Well, I think it's a massive part, right? I mean, you know, there was an article I was reading earlier today that talked about the misnomer of of COVID, which was the fact that very early in 2020, we labeled uh, the majority of cases as being mild. And the thing that we didn't talk about was moderate disease, that that area, that kind of granular area between, you know, severe and, and asymptomatic disease. And it, it, it has continued to be perpetuated. And I think that's the unfortunate reality is, is a lot of people tend to look at this as being something very mild and innocuous. Same, and really the same way we look at flu, which is very unfortunate because flu kills a lot of people each year and certainly hospitalizes a lot of people each year. So I, I think that's part of it. And, you know, the unfortunate aspect is we've gotten back to this idea that you know, life is coming back to normal and things are opening up. And and I think now it's an inconvenience again, right? It's not so much the, I think, the, the life and death situation outside of Alberta and Saskatchewan, which obviously they're, they're in a very different situation. But I think for a lot of people, it's it's been a little bit lost, that idea that, well, we have a vaccine, so everything's okay. And, and no, it, it's not. This is a, a very, very dangerous time that we're in. Uh, we have a vaccine, but many, many, many millions of people will never take it, uh, yes. it seems. And so there's going to have to be, I guess, other strategies. I'm not really sure. I mean, I know we have mitigation strategies, and that's very helpful. Even if you're vaccinated, it's important to still wear a mask indoors, not to mingle with the public, you know, to maintain your physical distance. Um, what are your thoughts on those alleged COVID parties happening in Alberta? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, Why? I, I certainly, I mean, the, the, the first place I saw it was on Twitter. And, and, and thankfully, you know, many of my colleagues had expressed their frustration ahead of time. I, I try to keep, you know, my kind of my use of uh, four four letter words uh, off of there as much as I can. But it was, it was frustrating because, again, we get back to this idea that it's not an innocuous disease. And I think to me, I look at the situation, certainly in Alberta, and you look at what they're going through and certainly what the healthcare system is going through and certainly the, uh, the, the non-COVID related uh, uh, issues that we're now facing because of the, the extreme number of COVID cases that are showing up at hospitals. And to do this, I don't understand it. I, I, I continue to fail to understand why at this point in the pandemic, um, we are still having to have these conversations. But th- there are groups, people, that just look at this as being kind of a, well, we're going to get infected anyway, so let's just speed up the process. What they don't think about is a lot of times, a lot of people, when they get sick, they get really sick. And you can't necessarily uh, assume whether you are going to have asymptomatic disease or severe disease. It is not as easy as just saying, I feel good, I'm healthy, I'll be okay. No, we, we don't have... 
that that ability to to, to discern what this disease is going to look like on an individual basis yet. I often say to people, it's so random uh, how this disease affects people, how certain yeah. people, certain families get sick, and how some people get so much sicker than other people. We're actually hearing of a lot of young mothers in their 30s and 40s recently on online anyway, who are talking about how they decided not to get the vaccination, but they wish that they had now that they're actually in, you know, having severe breathing difficulties. And, um, you know, they never realized that COVID would strike them um, yeah. as, as significantly as it has. And one grandfather was talking about how he wished he'd listened to his granddaughter who was 62 or something, wish he'd listened to his granddaughter who said, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. And he just never thought it would strike him that way. And I think you're right. People think it, that there's a low burden of disease. They think 99% of people have recovered from it. Um, but there's just so much more to it than that. Um, if you have a question for the doctor, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. Or if you have attended one of those COVID parties, I mean, many, many people in apparently in Alberta are in news as a result of uh, attending those COVID parties, apparently, mm-hmm. which is yeah, just terrific. It... Go ahead. I was just going to say that people don't realize the impact on the healthcare system, but Can you hear me? <laughs> it's it's kind of it's breaking out. Okay, sure. Go right ahead. Um, I think I'm it's just on yeah, it's it's breaking off a little bit. I think on your end. Okay, now I can hear you. <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know, it's it certainly again when we look at this idea of, of the disease and, and where we're at, it's just we don't know enough about this virus yet to be able to look at people and say you are going to be absolutely fine. Don't worry if you get in contact with the virus. We, we, we don't. And certainly from the standpoint of how much disease or how much virus is you know, required to put somebody in a severe disease or a smile disease, we're still trying to figure that out. And it, it, it will take us years to answer those basic questions because this is the nature of, of viruses and infectious disease research. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk is my guest. Uh, thanks for staying on the line, Dr. Kinderchuk. I want to talk about, again, along this fear factor line, people are afraid to get the vaccination because they, and they, they feel that they um, have a medical exemption. They're worried that, that their, whatever their comorbidity is, whatever their medical condition is, that it's going to worsen if they get the vaccination. Who is actually exempt from getting COVID vaccines? It's, it's really limited, right? So, you know, j- just looking at uh, certainly our, our Manitoba guidelines, um, all of this is really based on documented reactions, right? So you've either had a severe reaction after the first dose, which has to mm-hmm. be qualified by a medical professional, uh, you're on immunosuppressive drugs, or you've had a severe allergy or anaphylactic reaction to your prior vaccination. But again, that has to be something that can't be managed by the, the health sciences uh, allergy clinic. So it's very, very specific. None of this is is really up to the individual to decide. It it all has to be confirmed by a, a medical practitioner. Right. One of the things that I find is it just just blows my mind is that um, people, um, you know, are so afraid of the vaccines. They're afraid that there's an ingredient in there that is going to somehow put a microchip inside them or whatever, do something 
um, to them. Yet one of the ingredients, if you're allergic to polyethylene glycol, which is found in laxatives and cosmetics, you shouldn't get an mRNA, mRNA vaccine, but you can ask your doctor about getting the J&J vaccine. If you're allergic to polysorbate, 80, which is used as an emulsifier or defomer in foods, medicines, vaccines, and vitamins. Yes, vitamins. Those same vitamins people take to, air quotes, boost their immune system <laughs> is the exact same ingredient um, found in the vaccines. People don't realize, you know, that there's, these are, they're, they're taking these anyway, <laughs> or, or one of the ingredients, potentially. Yeah, you know, and it, and, and I think the mRNA vaccines have really changed things as well, right? Because we're not dealing with with components of, uh, you know, or at least um, you know, antigens of, of the virus directly, or an activated virus, or or you know, uh, attenuated virus. We're now dealing with an mRNA strand that basically teaches your cell to make the protein, and really, it's it's degraded very very quickly post injection. So, but we're getting down to a very small list of of ingredients. Um, that, that I think are going to make it harder for people to qualify for these exemptions. And, and that's great. But also, you know, we are seeing people taking that hardened stance of saying, mm, well, I just feel that I, I shouldn't take it. Um, and that's going to, I think, lead to a lot of discrepancies with, within the, the healthcare community with people that are battling back against uh, their physicians. So it's going to be a tough slog, I think, now. I agree. Even though 96% of physicians, uh, to their credit, are fully vaccinated, according yep. to some research study, whereas nurses aren't the same, which is extremely disappointing because nurses are the educators in healthcare. Nurses have the gift of time um, to educate patients. Um, the, how about um, evidence that cancer patients are more likely to get side effects? Is, is there any evidence um, up for that? From the, for the from the vaccine, you know, mm-hmm. not, not really that we've seen, right? The, the only things that we've seen have been, again, those that are currently on immunosuppressive drugs. Um, and most of that is because they, they don't want to see any interference with, uh, with, with the current drug regimens. Now, we also know that cancer is, uh, you know, uh, certainly an underlying comorbidity for more severe mm-hmm. risk of disease. So that, that's a conversation that is very, very necessary to have because the timing is extremely important. And, of course, if you can't get vaccinated, that means now you have to take all those other precautions to try and reduce risk, uh, which you, you know, certainly you'd be taking anyways, even with the vaccine, um, but, but to a much greater extent in the, in the face of Delta. So it, it's very, very concerning. And I think, we, you know, again, we, we have to have people that are having those conversations uh, with, with their physicians when, whenever possible, because these, these things need to be ironed out. They they sure do. And no one likes to be told what to do, but getting vaccinated isn't about just about you out there. Anyway, Dr. Kinderchuk, thank you so much for joining me once again this evening. Always great information and very helpful. Thanks, Maureen. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, the second hour of the program. Uh, Anxiety is a feeling of fear, dread, and uneasiness. It might cause you to sweat, feel restless, intense, and have a rapid heartbeat, but it can be a normal reaction to stress. For example, you might feel anxious when faced with a difficult problem at work before taking a test or before making an important decision, but it also can negatively impact your quality of life if it becomes out of control. My next guest is a medical doctor, neuroscientist, and medical intuitive who tried every type of therapy for his severe anxiety for many years. He finally had to heal himself, and he shares his secret in his award-winning book, 
anxiety treatment, which will help you when nothing else does. Please join me in welcoming the anxiety MD, Dr. Russell Kennedy. Good evening, Dr. Kennedy. Hey, Maureen. It's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, nice to talk to you again. It's been a while. I've been following you on Instagram. Okay. Congratulations on your 10,000 followers. 10K! Yay! Yeah, yeah. Way, way more than That's me. It. I'm anxious now. Okay, Comparative suffering. Yeah. Competition anxiety. Fair enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on. Anxiety is the number one mental illness in North America. Uh, to sure tell is, yeah. Just describe for the listeners uh, what anxiety is and how, how it can be uh, debilitating for people. Well, you know, that's the hard thing, Maureen, is that, that anxiety has such a, a, a differential of, of symptoms, you know, like some people get sweaty palms, some people get racing thoughts, some people get, a, a, you know, palpitations of their heart, this uneasy feeling, this feeling of impending doom. And when you check the DSM-5, that, you know, it's kind of like got the, they got this laundry list of, of anxiety symptoms. And it's really difficult to kind of, you know, pigeonhole anxiety into one thing because it's very it's very subjective, you know, and some people, they don't even know they have anxiety. One of the things that, that I, I get from people that read my book is they say, my God, I never even knew I had anxiety. And I said, well, I don't know if I'm doing you any favors then by, by writing this book. So it, it's a real very, it's a real mixed bag of what shows up. But te- technically, uh, it shows up as, you know, kind of a racing heart, dry mouth, uh, and, and just this sort of mental sense that something negative is going to happen in the future. And, that, and that's buoyed up by uh, the worry that uh, our minds create when our bodies feel this you know, physiological alarm. And so many people worry. I, I was thinking the whole time I was going to ask you, is worry a part of it? Uh, but, but, is it, uh, I mean, sometimes you can be worried about somebody, it can be short term, but is this this incessant worry? Is that anxiety? Yeah, I think so. You know, in, in my definition, anxiety is just anxious thoughts and anxiety in and of itself is not painful. What is painful is its evil twin, which is what I call alarm, which is old, you know, kind of trauma that gets stored in our body, typically from childhood. So I see a lot of people who had childhood wounding and, and a lot of emotional trauma in their, in their youth, and they couldn't handle it at the time. You know, their parents got divorced at six or seven years old, or they, heaven forbid, heaven forbid lost a parent or something like that. And the, the negative energy has got to go somewhere. So basically, I believe that what happens is that we sequester that, we repress it or suppress it down into our bodies. And it stays there and it creates this sort of negative energy that stays in our body and our mind, which is basically just a meaning making make sense machine, reads that energy in a process called interoception, which is how the brain reads the body. It reads that negative alarm energy and it has to make a story out of that, especially the left hemisphere. It's, it, it's got to know. So it makes up a, a negative story, like a worry or a projection of the future to match this uneasy alarm feeling in the body. And a lot of people don't even know that they have this alarm stored in their body and they just attribute anxiety to the thoughts of the mind. And if you're trying to heal anxiety and if the anxiety is caused by this stored old trauma in the body and we're trying to fix it by fixing the thoughts of the mind, that's why we're not getting anywhere really in the treatment of anxiety long-term. CBT works short-term, but it doesn't, you know, a year later, a lot of the studies show that CBT is worn off, and that's because I think we're treating the wrong thing. We're trying to treat the thoughts when the actual issue is this old alarm that's stored in our body. And I'll just finish with this. 
you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me as a medical doctor to kind of come out with this because it sounds so ethereal. It just sounds so, you know, non-doctorish. But it's mm-hmm. true. I mean, I, this is what I found when I, you know, I had a, a, incredible anxiety, intractable anxiety that wasn't fixed by any psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever. And I finally took LSD and LSD showed me that this anxiety that I call the anxiety of the mind was actually this, this trauma energy stored in my body from living with my dad who had schizophrenia. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I do remember when you were suffering with that. Um, yeah. And, you know, anxiety doesn't discriminate. And we don't expect physicians or airline pilots or, you know, uh, engineers or, you know, lawyers to suffer anxiety. But uh, m- people in these roles certainly can suffer anxiety as well. Is it always related to something um, from childhood? Is it always a trauma stored? Or, or can I, I it be something yeah. that occurs later in life? Yeah, I hesitate to say always about anything, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to the mind, right? Uh, but most of the people that I see, and I see people who have got, you know, severe treatment-resistant anxiety, who've tried everything else. They've tried the, the psychotherapy. They've tried the, AB, you know, the, the CBT and the ACTs and all that sort of thing. And basically, it's really coming to understand that it's this source of alarm that's held in their body. And a lot of times, people are born sensitive. I know I was Mm -hmm. born really sensitive. And if you're born really sensitive and and you grow up in an environment like I did with my father with schizophrenia, not really knowing, so the house would just get dropped into chaos, you know, kind of at at the drop of a hat. So you learn that this this hypervigilance, you always have to be on guard all the time. And that's a program that gets put into your unconscious mind and you just act it out for the rest of your life until you understand it. And once you understand it, then we can kind of do things to to kind of alleviate the real source of that that pain and that uh, over excessive worry, which is this alarm that's stored in your body. In fact, I don't even like the term anxiety, because if you you know, you went to lunch with a friend and you're saying, I'm feeling really anxious. A lot of people don't even know what anxious really means. But if you say, hey, I'm feeling really alarmed today, everybody's been alarmed. So everybody can kind of relate to that story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, some people might say there's a genetic uh, predisposition. You have a father who had mental illness. Anxiety is a mental illness. you got a, just a varied form of it. Um, is there a genetic component to this in your mind? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard because... When you have a parent who's acting strangely and acting worried and scared, you know, as a child, there's part of you that emulates that behavior because you see it all the time. So it's really hard Mm -hmm. to tease out, like, how much of that is genetic and how much of it were you exposed to as a child. But the, the universal thing that I see with people with severe anxiety is some kind of childhood trauma, not always, you know, but some kind of trauma in childhood. And I used to see it in my practice as a physician. I've, you know, I've never seen a case of irritable bowel syndrome that didn't have childhood trauma. I've never seen a case of fibromyalgia who didn't have childhood trauma. And we're just, as physicians, starting to really understand this, you know, this adverse childhood experiences study that was done in 1997 that showed that, that children who had abuse, abandonment, loss, neglect in their childhood are you know, 12 times more likely to show up with rheumatoid arthritis as a 50-year-old instead of a 7-year-old. And all these diseases that show up from specifically from childhood trauma. And my colleague Gabor, Gabor Mate just came out with a movie called The Wisdom of Trauma showing mm-hmm. exactly what I talk about, which is basically that this old trauma gets stored in our body and is often the root of addiction as well. 
Right. And, you know, in my clinical practice, I see a lot of uh, couples will present with uh, sexless marriage, but, you know, digging deeper into it, one, typically one or both of the couple um, was raised by an alcoholic parent, by one or um, more, um, one or two alcoholic parents, and which they don't realize that that leads to 13 characteristics, you know, guessing at what normal behavior is, anxiety or depression, um, perfectionism, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, different characteristics, which they bring to the relationship, which people pleasing, exactly, which causes irritability, you know, impulse control problems. Oh, yeah, all that stuff that that's right. And so they don't realize that that's actually a piece of, you know, their sexless marriage that actually, and, and alcohol is so accepted today in society that people don't realize that the negative impact that, that it can have on, on when you're raising children, or, I mean, I knew somebody who said that whenever they heard ice cubes clang, no matter where it was, if they were pouring Kool-Aid for their child or whatever, um, it just reminded them of that was when their mother had started drinking. And, and then, as you say, the house would just go into chaos. It, w- was your father diagnosed um, when you were a child? Oh, yeah. Did, oh, yeah. He was diagnosed yeah. at that time. Oh, yeah. So he spent many, many episodes. Yeah, he spent many, he had many stints in the mental hospital that I can remember. I mean, I, I knew he was, there was something wrong when I was a child, you know, because that's where the sort of medical intuitive part of me comes from. So I have, I've always had this kind of intuition. So I knew something wasn't quite right about him. But when I was about 12, 13, 14, I really started to understand, you know, that he had schizophrenia and bipolar and he would go manic and stay up for three or four days at a time. And, and nothing was a bad idea, you know, opening a, you know, a typewriter repair store was a great idea. You know, it's just like there, right. there was never. Yeah, it was it was very uncomfortable. In fact, for me, it was more uncomfortable when he was manic than when he was depressed, because when he was depressed, at least I knew where he was, what he was doing. Uh, but when he was manic, I, you know, I had no idea what he was going to come up with. Right. And did you have siblings? Yes, I have one younger brother. Yeah. And um, did did your younger brother suffer? Was your younger brother a sensitive person as well? Not as much as me, you know, Scott's a lot more um, kind of um, stoic, happy-go-lucky, whatever you want to call it. He doesn't have the same sort of sensitivity level that I do. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't struggle as much, you know, he doesn't struggle as much with mental stuff as I do or I did. Right. Um, so, So it's funny that we were raised in the exact same household, but me being the oldest boy, you know, there's, yeah. there's lots of theories out there that, uh, you know, you take on the tra- the oldest in the in the family will take on the traumas of the same sex parent. So, uh, you know, it's a bit that's a bit poppy, you know, pop psychology ish. But, you know, when I look at when I look at my patients and I, I take their histories and their profiles, it's not too far from the truth. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. We're talking anxiety with Dr. Russell Kennedy. He's a medical doctor, neuroscientist and medical intuitive. And he is the author of the book, Anxiety treatment and he's sharing his own story of anxiety. Dr. Kennedy, thank you so much for staying on the line. Um, You talked a little bit about your own anxiety. How long did you suffer with anxiety and how debilitating was it for you? Probably since I was about 15 years old and I didn't really realize it until I was about 21. And I think that's true for a lot of people. They feel this angst and this impending doom, especially our teenagers. And they don't really know because they don't, they're not inside anyone else's head. They don't really know how much they're suffering. And it wasn't until I sort of got into medical school and sort of really looked at, uh, at, at my own psyche 
and really saw this isn't right. This isn't this isn't normal. So, uh, you know, I'm 60 now. So probably, I don't know, 45, 45 years, 50 years. You 45 know? years a you long suffered time. with it. And, that, yeah. and you had severe, you describe it as severe anxiety. At points. Yeah, at, at points, points it was. You know, there was yes. that when I, when I, in 2013, I ruptured my left Achilles tendon. And basically that was the straw that broke the doctor's back. I was already kind of burned out of allopathic medicine. And that sort of really kicked me right out of it. And um, I hit a really, really low point at that point. And the anxiety was just, it was like living with a 12-hour panic attack every single day. And it was like, uh, I don't know if I want to keep living if every day is painful like this. So it was one of those things that I had to sort of find a way out. And, and you know, as you alluded to before the break, is I did try LSD. I had a friend who's very, um, he's an Ayurvedic doctor, so he's very familiar with these kind of these kind of practices. And so, you know, he took me on this LSD journey. And on that journey, I saw that my, or I was told in some way, I'm not sure how I got this, but that my anxiety really wasn't a function of my mind at all, but this old trauma that was stored in my body. And I could, I could actually see it, you know, right in my solar plexus. And then, you know, about a year later, I went to a, um, a seminar with Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who's one of my mentors, a developmental mm-hmm. psychologist over in Vancouver. And uh, he said, you know, um, that all anxiety is separation anxiety. And, and I took that. It's like, okay, well, what is this? And then, and then he also talked about the state of alarm that our body goes into. And I, and I thought to myself, I wonder if what we have, if this, if this thing that's in my solar plexus here is actually a state of alarm that's stored in my body. And that's what's creating the alarm in my mind, the, the alarming thoughts of my mind. And what if I'm treating the wrong thing? What if for, you know, 35 years I've been treating the thoughts of my mind when I should really be treating this alarm energy, this unresolved trauma from living with a schizophrenic father in my body? And again, as a medical doctor, I want to have a seizure when I talk about this stuff because it sounds so ethereal. But, you know, it really was the only thing that actually led me to healing from anxiety. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are doing kind of talk therapy in one level or another. My wife is a somatic trauma therapist, and she she deals a lot with something called somatic experiencing and touch work. So she does a lot of work with the body as far as healing the mind. So I try and, you know, take my medical doctor and my neuroscience and my developmental psych, the academic part of me, and then mix it together with this more ethereal part of me that sort of, you know, took psychedelics and lived in a temple in India for a while and became a yoga and meditation teacher and tried to blend the science in with the more ethereal parts. And that's why I wrote the book. And the book is called Anxiety Rx. So I know Rx stands for treatment. I, but it's, yeah, so it's called Anxiety Rx. So that's what the book is called. So if you're looking it up, it's just look up Anxiety Rx and you'll find and it. And where can people get that book? Because uh, we're running uh, Amazon, out of time. Yeah, okay. Amazon. It's yeah, it's it's all over the place. Um, you know, you can find it uh, too on my website, um, which is also my whole thing is the Anxiety MD. So uh, if you look up, if you Google the Anxiety MD, you'll find my YouTube page, my Instagram page, my website, all that kind of stuff. Well, it's great information. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us tonight. And I'd love to have you back because I know this is an issue that plagues so many people. And I have so many more questions for you, Dr. Kennedy. So thank you so much. Thanks, Maureen. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.